It had an endpoint. It had a, a destination. And so, in fact, we, we could even say that, 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 that his journey did not make sense apart from his destination. Because it set the trajectory of his travel. So, for Christians, the journey is important. There's something to that, that proverb, for sure. The journey is important, and the destination is important, though. Because we believe that you can either be on a trajectory or a journey towards eternal life or eternal destruction. And the destination that you set your face to, the orientation that you take, will determine the character, then, of your journey. So as is often the case in Christianity, we're going to reject a kind of an either-or approach. And instead, we're going to answer the question, which is more important, the journey or the destination, not with conventional wisdom, but with biblical wisdom, both and. Both and. The journey and the destination are important. So what I want to do next is explore with you both of those things together. Last week, we talked about discipleship in terms of liberation, transformation, and proclamation. And this week, we examined the, the journey of discipleship, the destination of discipleship. What are we liberated for? What kind of life does our transformation equip us to lead? And how does the proclamation then of the good news contribute to that journey, that destination? So we're going we're gonna to dive right in. What are we liberated for? This is, I think, the key to it all. What are we liberated for? We are liberated to go with Jesus. We are liberated to go with Jesus wherever he goes. It's that simple. And there are many things that hinder us in this. And and if we, we'll get to those in a minute. But when Christ sets us free, he frees us to follow him. That is now what we are free to do. His destination then becomes our destination. His journey is our journey. So where is he going in this passage? Jerusalem, right? What's in Jerusalem? Why is he going to Jerusalem? Because that's where he's going to be crucified. And there he's, he's going to die in the place of every sinner, right? He went to that cross, he, he set that in front of him not so that we can avoid all suffering, but he, he bore the weight of everyone's inner evil on himself so that we could follow him through the cross and come out on the other side alive forever with him. Now it's as if... Um, It's as if our sin is a dark tomb and it's trapping us, right? Cutting us off from light and air and food and water. And Jesus is the only one in the entire world that is strong enough to break through the wall and lead us into the land of the living. His destination becomes our destination. If we follow him, we follow him through the cross into eternal life eternal life with him. That's the destination. In the Psalm 16 passage today that we prayed together is, is dear to me. I asked Father John, our founding pastor, to preach on that 
psalm uh, on the occasion of my ordination to the priesthood. And so it's a psalm I return to often. Um, and I, I believe it really is a prayer of, of hope. Uh, and it's a prayer that characterizes the journey and the destination of discipleship. And it characterizes what an, an attitude of freedom in Christ is like. In verse 9 through 11 there. My heart is glad. My heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is, you could say, the grave, right? You will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we're liberated so that we can be free to follow Jesus through the cross into eternal life with him. He is the path of life. Okay, what kind of life does our transformation equip us to lead then? Last week we talked about the gifts of transformation that are given to us by the Spirit when we respond to the liberating work of Christ. Why do we need to be transformed? We need to be transformed because we're going to inevitably encounter opposition along this journey with Jesus. He frees us to follow him. We're going to follow him, but it's not going to be easy. We're going to encounter opposition along our journey. Our minds and hearts tend to be distracted from the destination. And so our our trajectory can kind of get off when we hit snags of of any kind. And so we need to be transformed because we're weak. We, We need to be transformed so that we can travel as we ought to travel. So our character... And thus, the, the character of our journey aligns with our destination. Jesus sent messengers ahead of him to prepare the people of Samaria to receive him. And in, in fact, they didn't receive him because of the nature of his destination. Right? We, it tells us why they didn't receive him. See, it's because he had his face set towards Jerusalem. See, the Samaritans had a theological and political position that Jerusalem was the center of false worship and leadership. Now, never mind that, that Jesus was rarely on good terms with the religious leaders, by the, by the way, in Jerusalem. It's not like he was wholesale endorsing everything that was going on there. Um, he also didn't exactly have good things to say about the existing political order. But their entrenched positions in Samaria kept them from accepting the nature of Jesus' mission because of that destination. Okay, but, but notice this. Notice how Jesus reacts. I mean, he just doesn't phase him at all. He doesn't really react at all, does he? I mean, he, he just accepts the rejection. The disciples have a, have a really hard time with this. Uh, when his disciples, James and John, saw it, these are, and these are the two guys that are just like super close to Jesus, right? They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Or what, man? But he turned and rebuked them and went on to another village. Even as followers of Christ, we're going to let things distract us. We're going to let things uh, 
keep us from the nature of the destination. What is the nature of Jesus' destination in Jerusalem? It's the cross, right? It's not condemnation. It's, it's the cross. And so he, he's not, he's not going to stand for condemnation as part of his journey. Jesus is not going to force himself on anybody. He's not going to force himself on anybody. Instead, he, he accepts the rejection and moves on. And so if we're following Jesus, we can expect to be rejected. We can expect to be rejected as his disciples. Jesus expects us to accept that rejection and move on and not call down, you know, uh, fire from heaven to consume the people that reject God's message. No forms of violence or coercion are on the table when it comes to spreading the message of Jesus. Okay, I don't know about you though, but I hate rejection, okay? Right? Like I hate that feeling. Um, It's really hard. There's always a temptation for me to kind of uh, uh, try to force somebody to accept my position, right? My opinion, my conviction, what I know to be true. Maybe if I just raise my voice a little bit. But I need to be transformed in my thinking so that I can follow faithfully in this. I need that transformation so I can follow faithfully in this. Right after this, a would-be disciple comes to Jesus. This is in verse 57, if you're following along in your Bible. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. To which Jesus replies, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he's not saying you have to be homeless to follow him, okay? That's, that's not what he's saying. Um, he's saying that following him necessarily entails the loss of physical security and comfort. How many of us naturally gravitate towards the loss of physical security and comfort, right? None of us, right? We have to be transformed for that. It necessarily entails that our home is defined first and foremost as with Jesus, wherever he is, and not any physical location. I mean, how many of us gravitate towards that way of thinking, right? Like, when you think, oh, I'm going home, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go be with Jesus, wherever he is. No, I'm going to 10th Street and Bethany Home, where I have AC and a fridge. I don't think it's too strong a statement to say that the, the maturity of discipleship to Jesus requires, requires physical and emotional risk, discomfort, and even detachment from anything that would distract us from our ultimate destination. We'll talk more about distractions next week, I think. Our transformation then is the reorienting of our lives so that we can accept rejection, so that we can respond nonviolently and live risky, uncomfortable lives that aren't tied down in ways that keep us from mission. You might be thinking to yourself now, but Father Nathan, that doesn't sound like good news, man. Tell me I'm, I'm going to be putting my life at risk and can't fight back and might have to go without a fridge. The good news here is that God can and will transform your heart and your mind so that this kind of life 
that Jesus himself is describing here isn't something that makes you afraid or anxious or sad, but that this kind of life is, is a source of joy. And, and this is why it's, it's so crucial that we keep the destination in mind, right? This part of the journey, like this hard part of the journey, can only be a joy if we are truly liberated and if we can we can only be truly liberated if we truly believe that christ is leading us to something so much better right that, that it's so worth it that he's leading us to the promised land right the, the the israelites had to go through the desert to get to the promised land right if we believe the witness of the scriptures the apostles the prophets and the church we can embrace a transformed life so uh, the, the New Testament talks about this. The book of Hebrews talks about this. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. You, you, some of you will be really familiar with this passage. I'm going to read it for you anyways. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Right, what are those witnesses? Right? It's all those that have gone before us, that have died if faithful to the gospel. Right? We have a record of, of, of those things. We have the scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What does that mean? It's coming up right here. Looking to Jesus. Staying focused on Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, listen, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So yes, consider Jesus. This is how you're going to make it through these difficult times of discipleship. Consider Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Commune with Jesus. Receive the free gifts and graces of liberty and transformation and hope. Believe and be about the gospel of Jesus. This is your core activity on the journey to your final destination with Jesus. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now this seems harsh, doesn't it? It seems harsh. Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe it is a little harsh. But I think we can be thankful for Jesus' frankness here. Because there will be times when discipleship and loyalty to Jesus above all calls us to mission even at the expense of what seems to be proper to the rest of the world. Now please understand me, okay, before I go on. I am not saying that we should sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry, okay? And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. 
I am saying, and I, and I think Jesus is saying, however, that there are times when the call of discipleship or the proclamation of the kingdom of God takes priority over social conventions. Takes priority even over some perfectly appropriate family expectation. It didn't make sense to some of my relatives that my parents would become foreign missionaries. You guys know my parents were missionaries overseas for my entire early childhood. We were in a third world country uh, on the western coast of the African continent called Benin. And, you know, it didn't make sense to a lot of people and people, our family, that my parents would do this, that they would take their two young children far away from their family to minister to people that they'd never even met and that probably would reject them. And yeah, there was uh, a concerted, subtle effort by the leaders of the voodoo cults where my parents ministered to undermine them, to strike fear in the hearts of those that would listen to the gospel. And so the work of ministry was slow at first. And yes, my parents endured sickness. They were basically bedridden for, for months at a time. Uh, they, they endured physical hardship in that way. Um, they lost, uh, or, or gave up, I should say, and loss isn't the right word. They gave up careers here in the United States. Um, my mom's a world-class classical violinist. You, you just can't do that in a third world country on the western coast of Africa. There were financial challenges that came with all that. And yeah, my parents made a decision that meant their children would grow up in all those formative years with little to no relationship with their grandparents or with their other relatives. So, you know what else, though, is as followers of Jesus before anything else, they followed in obedience and they planted multiple churches in that area. In the, by the way, um, the birthplace of African animistic religion is, is where they were. And that's where they started planting these churches. Many of them are still going today. They planted one of the very first Protestant churches there. That church, First Baptist Church of Alada, Benin, is still going today. In fact, uh, uh, I just saw a, a picture of that church and the people uh, all standing in front of it. Um, I don't even know if I know any of those people anymore, right? But that church is still going. It's still preaching the gospel. It's still leading people to Jesus. It's still making disciples that are making disciples and making disciples. And that area that when my parents first got there had maybe, I don't know, less than 100. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm guessing less than 100 Christian believers now has all these churches scattered around working together, preaching the gospel. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? I called my dad to ask this week. And he said, yes, it was absolutely worth it. I wouldn't change a thing. And it's interesting, he said to me, and I know, Nathan, I know that we made sacrifices that impacted you too. 
And you know what I told him? And I said, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, on the surface level, we look back at, you know, it, it seems like, oh, it's going to be so hard for these kids or whatever. But I wouldn't change a thing about that. And especially now, um, now that I've, I've, I've grown up, you know, a little bit. I mean, I'm not much taller than I was then, but I've grown up a little bit. Um, I've matured a little bit, I hope, in my faith. And I look back at that, and I think the example of discipleship that my parents gave me is the best possible gift that they could give me. So it's worth it, even if we have to give up family conventions, right? Even if we have to give up society's expectations on us. So this is what we do along the journey. We proclaim the kingdom of God. We do it two ways. First, by explicitly telling the story of what God has done for us in Jesus. Proclaiming him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We can't get away from that. Um, Yes, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. But it's always going to be necessary eventually to use words. We have a story to tell about what Jesus has done. So we explicitly proclaim that. Second of all, we proclaim the kingdom of God, though, not just with our words, but in our deeds, by being the kingdom of God. That is to say, by living out the implications of the gospel in our own community of faith. And in order to do this, brothers and sisters, we must be a community of disciples. We must be a community that has a relentless focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ and a radical commitment to two things, his teaching and his way of thinking over and above any other. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This means, right, okay, if you were, if you were plowing, you would have like one hand on the plow and you would be, you would be guiding the, the animal uh, with your other hand. And so if you physically kind of turned I mean, there's really no way to do that without, without moving your hand, okay? And so it would, it would kind of move things off to the, off to the side, and, and your line wouldn't be straight. And so we have to have this relentless focus on Jesus and not let it go. And we don't know the nature of, uh, of, of the people that this would-be disciple wanted to say farewell to. We don't, we don't know who it was. And, and, and yet, Jesus, again, pulls no punches. Um, when he calls us, it's time to follow. When he calls us, it's time to follow. Even if that means, and this is going to be a hard thing to say, but I think this is what Jesus is saying here. Even if it means leaving some relationships behind. Even if it means rejection by our culture. Even if it means uncertainty and risk. Going back to the, the race metaphor from Hebrews, right? We, we keep in our eyes on the prize. Who is Jesus. He is calling, and the time to follow is right now. I think he's calling each of us today. Kids, I don't know how much you've been listening to this whole thing. But do you know what? I think Jesus is calling you today to follow him. Young and old, everybody in between, Jesus is calling you, each of us, all of us, to be liberated, transformed. To be proclaiming the gospel. To have this life of discipleship. 
And it's, it's, a, it's a journey, to be sure, but it's defined by its destination, which is nothing less than eternity with Christ. It is nothing less than communion with our Savior, Redeemer, our Maker, our Friend. I'm starting to sing a song now. That's worth it. It's worth it. May each of us and all of us, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, lay aside then anything that would keep us from this. Every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance on this journey that is set before us, looking always and only to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.